0: All right, were you here last Sunday? If you were here last Sunday, our pastor Noah, our student pastor, opened with a scripture from the book of Psalms. Now, if you weren't here, I'm just gonna share with you a little bit of uh, that psalm because I had stopped Brother Noah on Monday and said, you know, that, that had been stirring around in me last week, and It still did, still did this week. Psalm 63, Psalm 63, verses 3 and 4 says, Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. God's love is better than life. And that is, just meditate on that for a while. Take a couple weeks to think about that. God's love is better than life. Now, this is a psalm uh, King David wrote and put together. And he wasn't having the best time of his life. He was in the wilderness. He was in the desert. We don't know exactly uh, what the situation was, but if you know a little bit about King David, the man had situations. His own father-in-law was trying to kill him. I mean, this guy did not have every single day being uh, just roses and lollipops. He He had some trying times, and he was in the desert. And yet, in the desert, in a trying time of life, a crisis, he gives us this beautiful image of God's love and life. Yeah, life can be a desert, but he's like, God, your love is better than life. It's greater than life. And life is good. Life is good. Even if you're in the desert, in the wilderness, life is still good. But God's love is better. And when we think about that, life then is, life is more than good. And God desires for us, God's heart is for us to have life, and real life, true life, eternal life. And God gave direction in his word, Choose life. Now we find this specific direction to choose life in the book of Deuteronomy. I alluded to that earlier. That we would be in the book of Deuteronomy, and if you uh, if you have your Bible, you just put your finger in Deuteronomy thirty. Deuteronomy is a big book. It's the fifth book of the Bible. It contains a series of messages. Some call them sermons from the great leader of the people of Israel, Moses. And Moses was approaching the end of his life. He was transitioning to a new leader, Joshua. And Deuteronomy is Moses' last words to the people, so to speak. And he restates God's law. He reminds the people just how blessed they have been. God took you out of slavery from Egypt. God released you from bondage. We sung this morning about freedom that we have in God. God freed these people, took them out of slavery, literally brought them into a land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land. And then he gave them his law, commandments to follow, laws for life. Moses recounted that in the book of Deuteronomy. And he talked about God's blessing. When you get to chapter 28, It lists blessing after blessing. And Moses says, if you're obedient, life will be blessed. You'll have these many blessings. But chapter 28, kind of the heavier side of it, also gives some warnings. Warnings of defeat and curses. And this section of, it's a list, it's a long list, of what will occur when you're disobedient. It begins this way. However, if you do not obey. If you do not obey the Lord your God. And then there's a list. It's a list of repercussions. And it's really not very fun to read. It's kinda of hard to read. This is what will occur if you do not obey. Then in the next few chapters, Moses kind of gives a summary, and he concludes. In his conclusion, he says things like, this is all the law of the Lord, the Lord God has given, and I've said it before you today. Now here's some of his concluding remarks. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 19 and 20, after all this about the law, blessings, curses, Moses said, this day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers Abraham Isaac and Jacob now this little summary brought by Moses it was blunt i put before you it wasn't good times and bad times no i put before you life and death blessings and curses choose life choose life after hearing all the list of defeat and curses, and you can go to Deuteronomy chapter 28 and familiarize yourself with them. And if you do, one would say, how couldn't you choose life? Why would you be disobedient? There's these blessings. But man, the, the defeat, the curses, why would anyone Go that way. Why would anyone be disobedient? Moses said, hold fast. Listen to him. But we know, we know from the rest of the account of the Bible, time after time after time, people went their own way. They did not choose life. They were not obedient. They chose life. The path of disobedience to God. They followed in the first, uh, the footsteps of the first couple, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were in the position, they were put into a position to choose life or choose death. What, we heard a word today, an encouraging word about creation, and God, who's the creator, said, What more do you want? In the beginning, God created. What more do you want? Man, ask God. He'll bless you. Be obedient. He'll bless you. What more do you want? What more did Adam and Eve want? The enemy came. Satan tempted them. They had a tree called the tree of life before them. What more did they want? They wanted to be like God. They were tempted and they wanted to be like God. And the tempter said, here it is, this tree called the knowledge of good and evil. And it's a different tree, but you take this fruit and you will be like God. They listened to the enemy and they thought they were going to get life. And what did they receive? That was that big, long list from Deuteronomy chapter 28 that ended with death. It ended with death. They had heard the tempter. What was the tempter saying? Choose life. Now, in a sense, he was saying choose life. Now, I know that's not his exact words. But in so many words, this enemy, the great serpent called Satan, he's like, hey, God doesn't want you to eat from this tree because he knows you'll be like him. Your eyes will be opened. You'll know good and evil and you will not certainly die. That's a quote. That's a quote from the tempter. You will not certainly die. So what's he saying? Come on with me, and you'll have life. Choose life, the life I'm going to give you. And that's what the first man and woman did, thinking they were choosing life, a better life, and it brought them death because they believed the lie of the enemy the enemy's been lying. The enemy continues to lie. And the enemy continues to say this choose life. Choose life. The enemy says that. The enemy and his messengers. Now that there is an enemy called Satan, that he has messengers, we really don't love to think about that. We probably don't dwell on it all too often. Yet it's true. Saul of Tarsus, who became the great apostle Paul, he wrote, A messenger of Satan has come to torment me. So there's this enemy, and he has allies, he has messengers. Jesus spoke of the enemy, Satan. We, we heard another word this morning about Peter being tempted. Hey, Peter, Jesus said, Satan seeks to sift you like wheat. Yeah, that's right. Because the tempter is real. Satan is real. The enemy is real. Jesus acknowledged the enemy. And Jesus said his native language is lies. That's his native tongue. He's the father of lies. So Jesus called him. What lie does, the, what lie does the, the enemy and his messengers like to tell? Choose life. Come on, choose my life, I'll give you life. That's one of his great lies. That's what he likes to say. Why? Because God said it. And the enemy is a great counterfeiter. He's a great fake. You know, the word of God says he would even come as an angel of light, to fool. He lied in the Garden of Eden, and not so many words he said, choose life. He continues to say it, and I wanna give you an example. I want to give you an example from the word of God that we can find application to choose the life, the life God wants us to choose, not the life the enemy tells us to choose. And this example comes from the Old Testament book of 2 Kings. It's the account of King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah of Judah, he defied his enemy, the king of Assyria, Sennacherib. Israel at the time of Hezekiah was split. It was a a nation that had divided into two countries. To the north was called Israel, to the south, Judah. Hezekiah was the king of the south. He was the king of Judah, where the capital was Jerusalem. His His predecessor was an evil king. His predecessor had closed down the temple in Jerusalem, shuttered it, closed. He put up altars at like every street corner in Jerusalem for idol worship. That was the king before Hezekiah. Hezekiah was 25 when he took the throne. And what did young Hezekiah do? He removed all those altars to false gods. He opened up the temple and he reconsecrated the temple. He brought back proper worship. He opened the doors for people to come and to pray and to sacrifice and to worship God. He reinstituted the days of festival. And when this renewal was happening in the kingdom of Judah, the northern kingdom of Israel was just steeped in sin, and they were conquered by the nation of Assyria. Israel was no more. Hezekiah witnessed Israel no more. Only the kingdom of Judah, this tiny kingdom, still stood as as a small nation. But Assyria kept coming. King Sennacherib of Assyria, he came calling. The 18th chapter of the second book of Kings tells us about it. It says many towns in Judah were captured by the Assyrians. They were coming. King Hezekiah, he tried to pay Sennacherib to stop. He emptied his treasuries, He peeled the gold off the doors of the temple. He took the gold off of the the doorposts and any pillars. He peeled as much gold as he possibly could. He gave a ton of gold to the king of Assyria. He gave a ton of silver to the king of Assyria. But it did not placate Sennacherib. He kept coming. He wanted Jerusalem. He wanted the whole nation. He sent three of his highest officials, high-ranking military officials The supreme commander, the chief officer, and the field commander. They came to Jerusalem with a message. These were the messengers of the enemy. And what did they say? The field commander, he could speak Hebrew. And he broadcast a message to all the people. Who are you depending on to stand against superpower, Assyria? You think Egypt's going to help you? Not going to happen. Not going to happen. We have come to march against your country and destroy it. Now, if you read 2 Kings 18, he goes into some kind of graphic details. I don't even want to read out loud about how Jerusalem is going to fall. And the field commander continued. I want to read 2 Kings 18 verses 23 and then 31 to 33. Field commander said, come now. Make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. This is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me. Come out to me. Then each of you will eat fruit from your own vine and fig tree and drink water from your own cistern until I come and take you to a land like your own, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey. Choose life And not death. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for he is misleading you when he says, The Lord will deliver us. Has the God of any nation ever delivered his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Hear the words of the messenger. Hear the words of the messenger of the enemy. What did he say? He said, Don't trust the Lord to deliver you, he can't do it surrender to the enemy. Make a bargain with the enemy. And you know what? You'll have your fill. You'll have food and wine and honey. You'll have property and you'll have good water. Come on. Come on to the enemy's side. Surrender. Choose life. Choose life. This is the word of the enemy. Choose life, he said, as he, as he put before the Judeans life and death. Just like Moses had. The enemy said, there's going to be blessings when you choose life. Great blessings, property, water, food, wine, honey, beautiful land. And if you don't, you Judeans, you don't yield and surrender to the enemy, then Death. Ah, the messenger of the enemy put before him life and death. The great enemy, Satan, continues to do the same thing and perpetuate the same lie today. You got a problem? You got an issue? You got something you're trying to solve in your life? You got a predicament? Perhaps like Hezekiah, you've already gone broke. You've already paid as much as you possibly could. You've used all your resources to take care of this problem, this issue, whatever it is. The enemy will take all you got. And you know what? He's not going to stop. He's not going to stop. He's going to keep coming till he gets you. Just like he kept coming for Hezekiah in Jerusalem. He's going to keep coming and he'll mock God. Oh, Jesus can't deliver you from your problem. Uh-uh. It's too big. But I can make a bargain with me. You know what? He offers you the world. Just do things my way. Just do them my way, and you'll have it all. You'll have it all. Take care of your problems. You'll have, you'll have stuff. You'll have property. You got. You want food and wine. You want it till you're full. You want some great land. I got it for you. And how does that pan out? How does it pan out in reality? You're broke. You got no job. Or, or maybe your, your job's on the line. You know, the layoffs are coming. Or, or you know, you just need one more grade. You need, you need one more good grade. You know, you're going to make that scholarship. But if you miss it, oh, it's not going to go well. No, you're, in, you're in some other kind of jam. You're in other, some, some other life crisis. Who will deliver you? Like the messenger of Sennacherib said to the people of Judah, a messenger of Satan, he comes and says the same thing. The Lord won't deliver you. Don't trust the Lord. He can't do it. I got the answer. Bargain with me. Choose life. Otherwise, you're going down. You think it's bad now. It's going to get worse. And then he offers you a way out. You can do it. All you got to do is maybe a little cheating, maybe a little lying or stealing, maybe you cut a corner here or there. Maybe you got to get something over on someone, but that's okay because you're going to come out on top. Maybe you need to just say what you got to say to make your problem go away. You know, and none of it, and none of it is obedience to God. And none of it is obedience to God's word. Just disobey, and you'll have everything. Just disobey. Your problem will go away. Choose life. Choose life. Don't go God's way. That's what Adam and Eve did. They thought they were choosing life. They reaped death. What did Hezekiah do? What did Hezekiah do? We should look at how he responded. You know, the army of a superpower had invaded. He'd emptied his treasuries. He was broke. And he was being pressed. Make a bargain with the enemy. Make a bargain. Just surrender. Come on. Life will be good for you. What did he do? What did he do? 2 Kings 19, one and 2. When King Hezekiah heard this, Heard this message that had come from Sennacherib through his messengers. When King Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes and he put on sackcloth and he went into the temple of the Lord. He sent Eliakim, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, and the leading priests, all wearing sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amoz. And what Hezekiah did, we can do. Number one, what did he do? He got humble. He humbled himself. He tore his clothes and he put on sackcloth. That is a sign of humility. It's a sign of, it ain't all about me. It's a sign of, I'm giving up to God. A sign he was not relying on himself anymore. He wasn't relying on his money, his power, Egypt's power, whatever. He wasn't going to make no political alliances. He knew his resources weren't going to pull it off. He was already broke. When you're in a bind get humble. Number one. Number two, Hezekiah went to the temple. He couldn't spend his way out of the jam. His own resources were gone. He humbled himself, and he went to church. That's what he did. He went to God's house, and he got before the Lord. Now, the temple was not an unfamiliar place to Hezekiah, no, he had reconsecrated the temple. He had re-established worship and sacrifice and prayer. It was God's house of prayer. And he knew it and he went to it. Don't let God's house become shuttered to you. Don't let it become just a part-time thing. You know, it needs to be a familiar place. It needs to be a familiar place where you can, where you're comfortable to get humble before God. Make church regular, not part-time. Make it familiar. Be in God's house so that when any crisis comes, you know, you're already in the habit of going to the Lord. You're already in the habit of seeking him with the community of the church. Because number three, Hezekiah sought help from others in God's house. In the temple, Hezekiah sought the Lord and he asked his friends, his close friends, all of his advisors, the priests, He asked them to seek God with him. They went to the prophet Isaiah to get a word from the Lord. Now, church, there's an example for us. When we've tried to solve our own problems, when we've tried to fix our own issues with our own power and our own resources, this is an example for us, an example for us when the enemy sends his messengers to say, surrender to me. And he entices us and says, you'll have it all. When that messenger of, uh, says God's not going to help you and, and he can't do it. Your problem's too big. No, don't believe that. You get humble before the Lord. You get into his house and, and you start to seek him. And then you ask other believers to seek God with you. This is what the, the friends of Hezekiah did when they went to Isaiah. You know, we have a better prophet than Isaiah. We got Jesus. We have Jesus, the high priest and the greatest prophet to go to. And you can go to him, but you can also say, hey, brother, sister, communion of saints, help me, pray with me. That's what this community of the church is about. Ask other believers to seek God on your behalf. And if the church is a familiar place, that's an easy thing to do. The friends of Hezekiah went to Isaiah. We can go to Jesus. Now, Hezekiah did all this. Was he delivered? Did deliverance come? Well, not immediately. Not in an instant. Not in a flash. He had to wait. His patience may have been tested a little bit. You know, we pray And we trust God. But the answer doesn't always come immediately. So Hezekiah waited. And as he waited, an encouraging word from the Lord came from the prophet Isaiah. And that's a great thing. You know what, church? We got everything we need right here. Right here. In God's word for encouragement. So that's number four. Be in God's word. If you're having a crisis like Hezekiah, you're in the desert like King David was. Get humble, get into God's house, seek him, get others to pray for you on your behalf. And as you wait on the Lord, get into his word and you'll find some encouragement. I guarantee you will. Just look at a place like Psalm 63. Lord, your love is better than life. Here I am in the desert. Your love's better than life. So in my crisis, in my desert I'm going to lift up your name and I will praise you as long as I live. I'll lift up my hands in your name. You know, you can do that even in the desert crisis situation. Do that as you wait on the Lord. And then, number five, number five, you expect the enemy to keep on coming. Hezekiah received encouragement from Isaiah, but you know what? Sennacherib did not stop, he kept coming he again sent messengers. 2 Kings 19, more more came. A letter, this time to Hezekiah. And once again, it ridiculed God. God's not going to help you. God can't take care of your problem. Come on, surrender to the enemy. And what did Hezekiah do? What did he do? You know what he did? He just went back to steps 1, 2, 3, and 4. That's what he did. 2 Kings 19, 14 to 16. I'll read those to you in verse 19. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers, and he read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord. That's what he did. He repeated, number one, I'm going to church. That's what I'm going to do. I've got a problem. The enemy's coming. He sent me a letter. Ah, surrender to me. Surrender to me. I got life. And he took it to church. He went up to the temple of the Lord. He spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord, the God of Israel enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Hey, that sounds familiar. We heard that today, didn't we? Creator, you have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the word Sennacherib, Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand, so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, our God, a fervent prayer of uh, King Hezekiah that he put before the Lord because he got humble and he got into God's house and he got others praying and he got into the word of God. He let the word of God encourage him. And even though the enemy kept coming and he may have expected the enemy to keep coming, he just went back and he kept doing the same thing as he stood in obedience to God. As he stood in obedience to God. And you know what? Ultimately, God did deliver him. Even though he had to wait a little bit, even though he, his patience and his faith may have been tested. Church, your deliverance might not be instant. It might not be the way that you envision it. But it's assured. It's assured. By the living God, it's assured by the creator God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Your deliverance is assured. It is. Now let's endeavor to be like Hezekiah and choose life, true life. The life God says comes through obedience. Even when the enticement of the the lie of the enemy comes and it's put before us and it's so strong and it's powerful and his offer is alluring and it seems so easy, it seems so easy to gain the life that he offers. Don't fall for that lie. Do not fall for that lie. Get yourself humble. Come on into the house and pray and seek others. Find encouragement in the word of God. And you can expect the enemy's not gonna stop. But you stand, stand Obedience and trust God's deliverance will come. This is part of being a church. It's part of being a church. And as we close this morning, I I want to just make a, a, a couple more comments about points two, three, and four. Getting into the house, God's house, getting others around you for prayer, having a community of people praying, and also finding encouragement from the word of God. Now that happens here in the church. It happens as being part of a community, the church. And the church has been established by God. We believe it. We recognize the authority of the government. Yes, we do. We follow the laws of the land, the state, the county, the city. But at the same time, we recognize God's law. We recognize the church that it doesn't exist exist by some edict of the state, uh, of the government, the county, whatever. No, it's not by the law of man that the church exists. No, it's by the authority of Jesus Christ. He established the church. He is God. Creator. King of the whole earth. King of the universe. And it's through the word of Jesus that local churches were established and a framework uh, was put in place a framework of authority. Pastors and, and elders were put into place uh, and deacons to serve and to lead the church. But you know this, this church government wasn't put in place as autocratic, no. Rather, it was as those who the word of God admonishes. The leadership of the church is admonished to watch over the souls of those who are under them because we're going to give an account to god that's hebrews chapter 13. it's one of the reasons that we believe being part of a church and a member of a church is important the bible relates lots of other benefits of being part being a a member of a community it's your primary place to learn and to grow uh, to, to grow spiritually, to worship, to pray, to fellowship together, to serve others, to find places of ministry. And the church offers relationship and connection. It's a place where uh, you're kept accountable, too. What we did this morning, we said, hey, will you help these parents? We help keep them accountable. That's part of the community called the church. You do it all while you're, you, you submit to leaders for your spiritual guidance, your spiritual discipline. And you're not going to get any of that if you constantly jump from church to church to church. You're not going to get any of that if, the, if God's house is shuttered to you and it's just, hey, part-time when you're having an issue or whatever. You don't get any of that if uh, you just forever remain uncommitted. Membership's not inconsequential. We see it as important. So today as we close, we're going to take time to bless some members of the church. One of our members who's moved, we want to bless. Because it's a a good thing. It's been a person in this community who's now moving to another church community. Willingly putting themselves under the care of another shepherd, another pastor. We think it's appropriate to bless that. This isn't a person running away from the church. No. Moved a good distance away. So we're gonna bless, and then we're gonna receive some new members, new members into the, into the congregation, into the, the communion of saints who have said, I wanna call this Bethesda Christian Church, my home church, my place where I'm gonna submit and, and yield to the spiritual authority. So first, we wanna bless Fran Arrow. Here she comes, Fran's here. Fran moved to Highland. She moved to Highland, Michigan. So, it's a, it's a good distance to drive. And uh, I was talking with someone this morning about the, uh, you know, just about the price of gas, <laughs> not, just the, not just the drive. Uh, so, a friend's moved, and we want to bless her. She's been a great part of Bethesda Christian Church for many years. She's been a servant, she served in our catechism department, our rooted department. She has been a great, come on out here in the light, friend. Come on, come on. And uh, you're now um, you're in Highland, Michigan, and you have uh, made your home Cornerstone Christian Church, right? With Pastor Tim Forstoff, Yes, Pastor Tim Forestoff, who's a friend of Bethesda, and uh, I know he had uh, our former pastor James Beal out to dedicate his sanctuary when it was built so many years ago. So uh, we're grateful for friends. Time here in our church community and we want to bless her and I want you to bless her with me that as she steps into Cornerstone and she commits to that flock and to that shepherd that she's as much a blessing there as she was here as a matter of fact let's just pray she's a twice fold blessing there and she takes everything that she's, she's learned and experienced here to that church so please stand with me stand with me as we bless Fran Lord Jesus Lord Jesus, I just lay my hand upon Fran Arrow, God, and I thank you for her heart, and I thank you for her service, and I thank you for the gifts and talents that she's bestowed upon Bethesda Christian Church for the many years that she's been here. Lord, as a servant, a servant to the Most High God and a servant to this local church community, And God, we pray a great blessing on her. Lord, we ask that the Holy Spirit would wrap his loving arms around her. Lord, and as she places herself into the fellowship of cornerstone Christian church, God, under Pastor Tim, that she would be a blessing to them, that she would take the things that you have uh, put in her through the years that she's been here because she's grown as a person and she's grown as a daughter of Christ and she has grown as a servant of the Most High God and she has learned and she has served. And we pray that you would be a twofold blessing there at Cornerstone, God, that you would use her beyond even the gifts and talents that she has because I know it's the desire of her heart to submit and to yield to that pastor and to that church and to serve. So God, open up doors of ministry for her. Open up ways for her to bless that congregation. God, use her, we pray, uh, for the light of Jesus Christ. God, we just ask this blessing to befall my sister in Christ right now, God, that you would be the one to do it. Oh, God, thank you. And again, God, thank you. Thank you for Fran. Thank you for her being here, God. Thank you for the times that we've had and the friendships that she's made. And Lord, uh, we just ask that you would carry her and plant her and may she flourish. May she flourish in that new flock in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen and amen. You're welcome. You're welcome. Now, Fran will be down in the front. I don't want y'all to run away after the closing prayer, but come down and uh, give her a personal blessing. Before we do that, we want to welcome some new members into the congregation. As one may go, God adds, and God does the work. And we are pleased, we are pleased to have a family here this morning that is making Bethesda Christian Church their their home. That's the Gregory family. And I wanna welcome the Gregory family to come on down here to the center altar. We are gonna pray for you, and we have some elders of the church to just bless you. We have Andre Gregory and his wife Jennifer, and their daughters Jenna and Madison. And uh, we have some elders that are going to pray for them. And again, let's just ask God's great blessing on them that he would use them here, bless them, knit them closer to us, and use them. Okay, let's pray. Let's just pray a great blessing. Join me. Father, thank you. Thank you for your church. Thank you for your church, God, that you established. You established the church. Jesus came, and he said, this is the way I want it to go. Put in place elders and pastors, God, and have them look after the flock. Lord, and here we have some who are joining the flock today, and we thank you for that. We thank you for Andre and Jennifer and Jenna and Madison, God, in their hearts, their hearts that they have chose to make this church their home church, this community, their local church community. They have decided in their hearts, Lord, not to make uh, coming into the house of God a part-time activity, no, but to make it a regular habit where they're familiar. And now, God, I pray you'd bless them. I pray your hand would be upon them. God, I pray that you would use them mightily. I pray that you would just expose the talents and the gifts that you have given them to be used in ministries and areas where maybe they haven't even dreamed they could be part of. God, that you would use them, that you would embolden them even to be witnesses for you. God, we heard a great word this morning about boldness, and I pray, Lord, that you would make them bold witnesses for you, that they would be people who would shine the light of Christ, Lord, and add to the community here. God, that they would be excellent, strong witnesses for you. God, bestow this great blessing upon them as we welcome them to be a part of this family. And, Lord, I pray that the church would be that family, that they would be a part of it, that they would do as we've talked about today, pray for others, be a help to others. And when they're in need, to ask others to pray for them, that they would seek you, God, in uh, your word, that they would just be completely, completely sold out to you. Father, I pray you'd grant it. I pray you'd grant this blessing. Lord, and again, we thank you. Thank you for your church. Thank you for your church, God and all the people who are here we ask this great blessing father in jesus name amen amen now don't run out come on forward as you leave today come on forward and greet the gregory's greet andre and jennifer and jenna and madison and say something to fran father thank you for your great grace in the house today Thank you for the enthusiasm. Bless your people as they go. People who are apart and are enriched because they're in your house. Thank you for it, God. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.